Have you ever heard someone say something like this? That man doesn't have a lazy bone in him. That's the kind of thing we tend to say about the Keith Withrows of the world or the Kenny Flaspolers. But the truth is, there is no such thing as a person who doesn't have a lazy bone in him. Every human being on the face of the earth, including the most diligent, industrious, workaholic, struggles to some extent in some areas of his or her life with laziness. Only three human beings were born without a lazy bone in them. And two of them got their lazy bones pretty early in life. Their names were Adam and Eve. But before they fell, they were never tempted to be lazy. But as soon as they disobeyed God and inherited their sinful fallen nature, the sin of laziness became a problem to them and to their posterity, which includes us as we sit here this morning. And yes, I said the sin of laziness. Because laziness is not merely a human weakness, frailty, or infirmity. It's sin. So who was the only person born into this world without a sinful, lazy bone in him? You know the answer. It was our Lord Jesus Christ. And how thankful we ought to be because he came down to earth to do the hardest work anyone could ever do. He came down to successfully resist all temptation to sin, to perfectly obey all of the laws of God in word, thought, and deed, and to offer that righteous, holy life on Calvary's cross to pay for our sins. He came down not to shrink back even for a moment from the wrath of his Father, which was going to be poured out upon him while he hung there in order to redeem us. He was actively obedient all through his life, and he was passively obedient in submitting to the horror of the cross. He did what he came to do. He was on a mission. He accomplished his task. He was diligent to finish the job. And what he did is he rescued a people from their sins. And though I'm sure hundreds of times, if not thousands of time, times, our Savior was tired, fatigued, and even utterly exhausted. So much so that on one occasion, in the middle of a day, on the floor of a crude boat that was tossing in a violent sea because of a very dangerous storm, He didn't even wake up. He had to be awakened because he was so exhausted. But listen, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus was never, never, never lazy. 
He worked and worked and worked to the very sweating of great drops of blood until he died on the cross to pay for our sins, including the sin of laziness. Well, welcome to the fourth in our topical series from the Proverbs called Wise Up. We've been called by Pastor Keith to wise up with regard to money. We've been called in two sermons by Pastor Jonathan to wise up with regard to our words. And today, this wonderful book is going to call us to wise up about work. Now, I'm going to be focusing our attention on the vice of laziness and on the virtue of diligence. Obviously, the book of Proverbs has much to say about these two subjects. I think I found every single verse that deal with them. In fact, there are no less than 33 separate verses which deal with these two subjects. But I've chosen to focus our attention primarily on the favorite word that Solomon chose to describe a lazy person. You've already heard it read four times. And that is the word sluggard. Most of the translations use that word. Interestingly, I was just telling Jonathan that the Holman Christian Bible translates that word slacker. And that's a good translation. Because slacker is one of the synonyms of laziness, as is drone, idler, loafer, sloth, deadbeat, slouch, slug, lazy bones, couch potato. Now, here's what I'd like to do this morning. Here's my game plan. First, I want to show you the sluggard's portfolio. Now, I'll admit to you that I wrestled with whether I should use that word or not. And I'm also going to admit to you that I'm trying to work with the peas this morning. And I wanted a pea, and I thought about using the word picture. But what we have in the text that Brandon just read for us is not a picture, but four pictures. And I found that the fourth definition of the word portfolio in the Webster's Dictionary is a set of pictures usually bound in a book. So I'm I'm legitimate in using the word portfolio. I want us to see the sluggard's portfolio. I want us to see what this guy looks like. I want us to see what this young man or this young woman looks like. And then secondly, I want to show you the sluggard's property. We're going to take a little trip to where he lives. We're going to look at his property. And then thirdly, I want us to consider the sluggard's prospects. What does the future hold for the sluggard? What's it going to be like for him later on? And then finally, I just want to conclude with a few further practical applications. Now, just to be clear, I think we've already established two things. One, slothfulness, laziness, whichever word you want to use, being a sluggard is a sin. Please be very clear about that. It's a sin. And the second thing I've said to you is that every single person in this room this morning is a sluggard. And if you don't think you're a sluggard in some ways, to some degree, about some things, 
You are seriously deceived about yourself. So nobody do this today at the front of the sermon and say, hey, listen up, this is for you. Just sort of imagine you have a mirror, pull it out, take a look at it, bend over, and you'll see the person this is for this morning. So let's think about the sluggard's portfolio. What does this person look like? What is he like personally? How is he to be characterized? Well, we have part of his portfolio in the text that Brandon read for us, and I'd like you to look at those verses again. We're in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. And in these four verses, the word sluggard is used four times. We see something about the sluggard's imagination, about his bed, about his arm. Actually, you'll see in the 15th verse the word hand, but I'm going to submit to you that the hand cannot be moved where it needs to be moved without the arm. He's got arm problems. And finally, the sluggard's ego. That's what we're going to see. And actually, as we look at these four things, we're going to see that his imagination is wild. He has a wild imagination. He has what I'm convinced is a tempurpedic mattress. <laughs> I don't know if you slept on one. They're wonderful. They have that memory foam and they conform to your body just where you feel like you need the support. It's a wonderful mattress. Or if he doesn't have that, he's got the number bed. But he's got a really, really good Mattress. It's obvious. He loves it. And we're going to see that his arm is tired. And we're going to see that his ego is huge. So these are the, these are the descriptions. This is what makes up the, the portfolio. The four pictures of the sluggard. Wild imagination. Very comfortable bed. Tired arm. And huge ego. Let's, let's think about his imagination just for a moment. I like the way Brandon read that. <laughs> There's a lion in the road. That was good. And that's, that's, what, the, that's what the sluggard imagines. He, he wants to imagine it. But I would have you observe that he is not imagining the possibility of a lion. He's not saying, you know, I heard that some lions got out of the zoo in uh, San Diego. That's a, that's a great zoo. You, you must, if you're ever in San Diego, you must go to the San Diego Zoo. It's possible that one of those things could have made its way to Owensboro. Are you saying that it's possibly in Owensboro? No. I'm saying it's here. There is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. Really? You've got an amazing, vivid, expanded imagination. Now, what's going on here? I'm going to admit to you that these four pictures found in this portfolio, I think, are designed by Solomon to be somewhat comedic. They're funny. But upon closer look, they're also very sad. They're very tragic. Isn't it ludicrous to imagine that there's a lion in the streets? So what is Solomon getting at? Well, it's really quite simple. Solomon is teaching us that lazy people, slugs, 
Slugs, that's a good word. If you, if you don't want to call yourself a sluggard, why don't you just try slug? That's what it means. Slugs and slackers are very, very capable of manufacturing, of fabricating any reason, be it ever so remote, why they should not do what they know they ought to do. Vivid imagination. You know what that is? That's an age-old heart-deceiving tactic for trying to justify our laziness or our inactivity or our indolence or our decision to do nothing. You see, friends, diligence takes effort. I want you to think about this for a moment. Diligence always takes effort. Laziness takes no effort. In order to be lazy, here's what you have to do. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, well, you may have to use your mind for a moment or two in order to fabricate one of those imaginary obstacles. And you may have to use your mouth to tell somebody, I can't do that right now because there's a, a lion out there. So you, you will have to work just a little bit with your brain and just a little bit with your mouth. But that, that's about it. You don't have to do anything to be lazy. I want to say to you young people and to the children, be very careful about letting your imagination persuade you that you really shouldn't do what you've been told to do and what you know you need to do, at least not right now, uh, because there's just all kinds of problems with that. You can think up many of them. And I'm going to say, young people, don't let that wonderful God-given gift of imagination go into such a sinful use. For someone to say there's a lion in the streets is probably similar to saying, Dad, I know you want me to mow the lawn today, but I've been thinking and I've done a little reading about this. There is a possibility that I could be hit by a meteorite. <laughs> Meteorites do come. Occasionally they land and they cause craters. Uh, I don't want one of those craters, Dad, and I don't think we... You know, if, if it happens, you're not going to need the lawn mowed anyway. You say, that's stupid. Yeah, that's stupid. That's stupid like there's a lion in the streets. And I want you to realize that letting that kind of imaginary process go on in your mind in order to justify not doing what you know you ought to do makes you a slug. So that's the first thing we see in the portfolio. Let's look at the second picture. Let's turn the, turn the uh, portfolio one page. And, and when we come to verse 14, we see something else about this sluggard. Not only does he have a wild imagination, but he has a wonderful bed. I already suggested he probably has a Tempur-Pedic mattress or a, a number bed. This guy is really in love with his bed. He has to be. You know, I know he's in love with his bed because he wants to spend so much time there. He, he almost wants to live in his bed. 
He loves his bed so much that he is, if you will, hinged to his bed. Hinged like a door. He's connected to his bed. If I walked over here and opened and closed the door, I would demonstrate for all of you that it really doesn't move very far. It just moves a little bit this way and then it comes back this way. And that's all it does. It just goes back and forth. It never really gets anywhere. But there's a little bit of movement. And this man, oh, he does move some in his life. He has some activity. He exerts some energy to roll over in bed. And after he slept on that side for a while, he rolls over like the swinging of a door back and sleeps on that side of his body for a little while. Lazy people are hinged to their beds or at least to places of perpetual rest and inactivity. Now, Really, as you study the book of Proverbs carefully, I think you will discover that beds and sleeping are kind of a problem in the book of Proverbs. They're not looked upon real fondly. They don't get good press. In one of the sections on slothfulness, which to which I will not turn you just now, it's one of the more familiar ones where the wise man says to the sluggard, to the slacker, Would you just go to the ant and consider her ways? And then he describes how industrious God has made ants by nature. And then he says to the sluggard, how long will you sleep, O sluggard? And he says, I know what you want. Just a little sleep. Just a little slumber. Just a little folding of the hands. That's how we should view the sluggard. He loves his bed. He loves his sleep. And there are other proverbs that speak to the issue of sleep. I really feel that I shouldn't tell you what they are right now. But sometime as you read through the book of Proverbs, notice how frequently sleep is put in a sort of negative way as something that we take advantage of. We do need sleep, but we take advantage of it. But I will take time just to show you about the diligent, virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, if you'll turn there for a moment. This excellent wife, who's excellent for many, many reasons, among others, is excellent because of her diligence. And I want to show you something about her with regard to sleep. I want you to notice verse 15. Proverbs 31, verse 15. It starts, the description of her starts in verse 10, but I just want you to notice. Well, I will say this, just to point out how, you know, how uh, active and diligent she is. Verse 13 says she works with her hands. Verse 17 says she makes her arms strong. Uh, Verse 19 says she puts her hands to the distaff. That's a weaving device. Verse 22 says she makes, she makes. Bed coverings. Verse 24 says she makes linen garments. Verse 23 says strength and dignity are her clothing. And verse 27 says she does not eat the bread of idleness. She's a very, very busy woman. How does she get sleep? How does she get enough sleep? 
You know what the answer is? She probably doesn't. Because in verse 15, it says this. It says she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. What does that mean? She rises while it's yet night. You know what that means. It means she gets up before the sun comes up. That's what it means. She gets up very early. She has shortened her night's sleep. But look at verse 18. Verse 18 says. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. When it's time to go to bed and all the lights are turned out, guess who's still up? This diligent woman. And of course, this kind of diligence isn't just for women. It just happens that Proverbs 31 is showing us what makes that woman such an excellent wife. She is diligent and she's diligent with regard to sleep. She gets up before the sun comes up and she stays up sometimes long after the sun has gone down. She's not going to succumb to this bed, this Tempur-Pedic mattress. But the sluggard does. And I would suggest that we all need to perhaps rethink the whole subject of our sleep habits. And I don't want to put a lay a guilt trip on anyone. Some of us need more sleep than others, and we should all get the amount of sleep that we need. I firmly believe in that. But I also believe that most of us probably need less sleep than we actually take. Most of us. And there may be a few people who actually need more sleep than you're getting, and I would urge you to get it. But really, is that the problem most of us have? We just aren't getting enough sleep. I'll tell you, somebody who doesn't get enough sleep seemingly is Al Mohler. And you all know about that probably, or at least you've heard. I was privileged to be in his home real recently and in his library, and he was showing us the chair he sits in when he does his serious reading. And I asked him, when do you read in that chair? He says, from 10 till 3. Every night, virtually every night. When do you sleep? He said, from three to seven. You only sleep four hours? I only sleep four hours. I can get by with four hours. I don't think we need to try to be Al Mohler. He'd probably kill us. And I'm not sure that he shouldn't get more sleep, but I'm making a point. Most of us tend to err on the side of getting more sleep than we need. And yes, the book of Proverbs identifies the bed as a place where our slothfulness and our laziness can manifest itself. Well, let me move on quickly as we turn to the next page. And I want you to see his tired arm in verse 15. We're still in chapter 26. Verse 15. What does he do? He buries his hand in the dish That is where there's some food to be laid hold of. But once he gets it down there, it's like, oh, I don't think I can bring that that hand back up to my mouth. I just it's going to wear me out, man. Now, that's ludicrous. That's hilarious. That's comedic. That's funny. But Solomon's making a point. Some people are so lazy that they find feeding themselves 
sometimes to be too much work and to be laborious. And I want to make a really important observation at this point, however, because maybe some of you are saying, oh, I'm not like that. <laughs> In fact, I'm not like any of these pictures that you have portrayed so far. I'm, I'm really busy. I'm very busy. I'm very active. In fact, I'm one of those people that other people say to, you need to get more sleep, man, woman. I'm very busy. Here's my question. Doing what? Well, doing the stuff I like to do. Doing what makes me happy. Oh, well, that doesn't mean you're not lazy. Laziness is doing the things you want to do while neglecting the things that you ought to do. That's what laziness is. And let me tell you something else about laziness or maybe about lazy people. What is your favorite day of the year? 365 days. What? Christmas? Birthday? Mother's Day? Let me tell you what the favorite day of the sluggard is. It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow's coming. That's when I'm going to pull my hand out of the dish to my mouth. That's when I'm going to get out of this bed that I'm enjoying so much right now. That's when I think the line will probably be gone by tomorrow. Tomorrow. But as you know, according to the old song, tomorrow never comes. Because when it seems to have come, it's today again. Lazy people live for tomorrow. So... You can think that you're not lazy because you're very busy. In fact, what you're doing is you're being very selective about your hard working. You're working very, very hard at the things you enjoy doing and the things you want to do, perhaps while neglecting the things you ought to do. And then when we turn to the last page of this little portfolio in verse 16, we see that the sluggard has a huge ego. He doesn't just have a wild imagination and a love affair with his mattress and a tired arm. He has a huge ego. You know what? He's so smart that when seven men who are wise men, good counselors, sit down with him and say, look, this is what you need to be doing, man. You are not doing what you need to do. He says, but, but look, these are all the reasons I can't do them because of this and this and this and this. And they say, no, 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 no. Look, we're all in agreement on this. All seven of us. Your thinking is fallacious. You're wrong on that. Your argument doesn't hold water. And he says, you know, I don't know how to tell you this. But I'm smarter than all of you put together. I really think my reasonings are right. And all of them say to me, don't do that now. Do that later. Procrastinate. You see, what his problem is? His problem is his ego. At the root, dear brothers and sisters, of some pride, at the root of some pride, And we usually think of pride as the root of all other sins, or at least many sins. I'm making a different point. At the root of some pride is laziness. 
We are proud about what we're not going to do and what we are going to do because deep down we have a lot of lazy bones in our soul and we're just not going to do it. Now, I wish I could um, talk more about the sluggard's portrait because there's a lot more in the book of Proverbs about him. Uh, we're told in chapter 12, verse 27, that he, he goes hunting, but he doesn't roast his game. We're told in chapter 12 and verse 11 that he follows worthless pursuits. We're told in chapter 13 that he craves things, he desires things, but he never gets them. But we must move on. And I want us now to drive by the sluggard's property. Let's go where he lives and let's see what it looks like. So would you turn with me just back about one page to chapter 24 and notice with me verses 30 and following. 24, 30 and following. <clears throat> and as we see what things look like, where he lives, even though we're not looking directly at him, we actually get even more insight into his character, into the character of a sluggard. So I'm just going to read now verses 30 and 31. He says, I passed by the field of the sluggard by the vineyard. That's what he was growing in that field. That's what he had planted in that field, a vineyard. I passed by this field and this vineyard, and it became immediately obvious to me that it was owned by a man lacking sense. So don't miss that. Sluggards lack sense. And behold, as we drive by with him and stop for a moment to look, we see something. His vineyard is all, not partly, it's not like here and there, it's all overgrown with thorns. The ground is covered with nettles. Nettles are nasty herbs, especially if you brush up against them. They make you itch. They're prickly. The vineyard is covered with thorns and nettles. But there's another problem. The stone wall has been broken down. Um, Wise farmers built stone walls around their field to keep the animals out so that the crop could be preserved. And nature and weather being what it is, from time to time, that stone wall had to be repaired and patched and built up and maintained. But as we look at the sluggard's property, we see not only a field covered with thorns and nettles, that we see a wall all broken down. There are no grapes growing there. This was once a vineyard. But it is no longer a vineyard. It's now a piece of waste property. And it's wasteland now because this sluggard doesn't exert the necessary energy and discipline that it takes to maintain what he owns. And furthermore, critically important, he doesn't exert the necessary energy and discipline that it takes to 
secure an income from the property that he owns. After all, he planted the vineyard in order to raise money. Not only is he not getting grapes, he's not getting the product, the, the produce, the money from the produce. No profit, no income. He's just let it go to pot. He's more interested in rest. And he, too, is waiting for tomorrow. Tomorrow will be a good day to go out there and start digging up some of those thorn bushes and fixing that wall. I'm going to try to get after that tomorrow. But today, I'm resting. Today, I'm coasting. Dear brothers and sisters, maintenance is work. Every industry has maintenance engineers. They're critical. And every aspect of our lives calls for maintenance. And I just want you to think categorically with me again. Dear people, we have souls that need to be maintained. We have marriages that need to be worked on. We have families that need to be cared for. We have houses and property that needs attention. We have jobs that need to be secured and, if possible, improved. We have educations to complete. We have a church to further establish and strengthen. We need to consider every one of these areas of our lives, and we need to consider them frequently. And I want to ask you this morning, is your stone wall breaking down? Are you being diligent in the cultivation of your soul? This is a spiritual application, I grant you. That's the point. We need to be like Solomon. When he went by a place like this, we would just go by and say, wow, that's a mess, isn't it? He says, no, wait a minute, stop, stop. Let's look at this a minute. Let's think about this. Let's see what we can learn from this. Wise people can learn something from everything. And he looks at it and he draws some very important conclusions. And as one commentator interestingly pointed out, the field that had no fruit enabled him to go away with basketfuls of fruit. Because he went away wiser than when he came. He learned from the sluggard. And we need to be diligent to think about the cultivation of our souls. And as I've mentioned, our marriages and our families and our children. And I would ask you, moms and dad, are you consciously, deliberately, intentionally, strategically building into your children a good work ethic? Are you teaching them how to be diligent at home? Are you mothers teaching your daughters to help you clean the kitchen and clean their rooms and do chores around the house? Are you fathers helping your sons know how to get off of the couch and to quit being a potato couch and to help and to pitch in and to work together as a family? These things can be done in positive ways. And they ought to be. We should be building this into our children. And I would remind you that we are teaching them and we are building something into them, either good or bad. We're either being an example by our lives or by our words of diligence or laziness. So there's the character of the sluggard, wild imagination, hinged to his bed, tired arm, big ego. And we see in this portrait here in this picture and passing by the indicators of his laziness. Things are taking over. 
and they're replacing things that are more essential. Things are breaking down. And they may be doing the same in our lives in the categories that I've mentioned. Now, let's just quickly take a look at the sluggard's prospects. Okay, we've seen his portfolio. We've seen his property. And I want you to think now about his prospects. What will his or her future look like? Our text tells us. Notice, again, in verse 33, after considering it, in verse 32, and receiving instruction by considering it, he shares with us what he concluded. Here's what he concluded. And I've already quoted this because this is found in Proverbs 6 as well. In the exact formulation, a little sleep, just a little slumber. See, that helps us when we use the word little. That's what the snooze alarm is for. It's for just a little more sleep. And I'm not saying it's a sin to, uh, to turn your snooze alarm on. It's probably not a good sign if you can do it with your big toe. If you can do it with your big toe, you've been practicing and you're really good at it and you do it every day of your life. But <clears throat> what we really want on such occasions is just a little, just a little sleep. We just want a little slumber. Dad, I don't. I don't want to sleep till noon. I just want to sleep in. Mom, I just need a little more slumber. Just a little. I know there are times when we do need that. So again, I'm not trying to bind anyone's conscience, but I'm telling you that by nature, because we are slothful, because we are sluggards because of our sinful fallen nature, we do use this word as an excuse. Just a little, just a little, just a little, but a little and a little and a little and a little added up becomes a whole lot and it has an accumulative effect. So what are the prospects of the sluggard? The prospects are very, very serious in a word. If I had to choose one word, the word most used in this book of Proverbs, it would be this word, poverty. That's the word that's used repeatedly. That's the prospect, poverty. Look at our text. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you. How does it come upon people? In one sense, it comes upon them gradually, but in another sense, it comes upon them suddenly. And Solomon puts it this way. It's going to come upon you like a robber. You know, how many of us have had a robber write us and say, uh, you know, in 2013, in the month of August on the 17th, I plan to arrive at your house around 2.30 a.m., just giving you notice. I'll give you further updates as the time approaches, and then when that time comes, it won't be a surprise to you. No. What does a robber do? He comes suddenly, surprisingly, unexpectedly. So in one sense, if we have any wisdom at all and we are slackers, we should be realizing something's coming, something's coming. No vines are growing here. No grapes are being produced. No money's going to come the bills are going to be coming. What am I going to do? I'm going to be impoverished. But we don't think that way, so a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands, added and added and added and added, and then suddenly, I said, what in the world happened to our finances? We're broke. 
poverty comes like a robber. It comes like an armed man. So I don't want you to think of poverty, though, as just literal poverty. Metaphorically, symbolically, there are many ways in which we can become impoverished because of our slothfulness. Because of our slack hand. The slow approach becomes a sudden arrival. And practically speaking, in terms of application, suddenly, suddenly, we realize that we're backslidden. Now I'm back to the application of the soul. Spiritual diligence for the cultivation of the soul. And all of a sudden you say, you know what? I'm backslidden. I'm really in a bad shape. How did I get into this funk? Did that happen overnight? Did that happen in one hour? No. No, you were working toward it. Or shall I say you were not working toward it. And suddenly you're addicted to pornography. And suddenly your marriage is in trouble. But it's just the arrival. It's just the announcement that seems so sudden. It was getting in trouble for a long time. Suddenly your family is dysfunctional. Suddenly your church life isn't as important as it used to be. Cultivating a sense of community and love so that disciples interact with one another the way God always designed the church to be. Not a meeting, but a community. A community. Of believers loving one another and caring for one another and talking to one another and encouraging one another and helping one another and being honest in one another and exhorting one another if necessary and praying for one another and sharing with one another so that the world outside looks at us and says, you know, Jesus was right. By their love, we can see that they are disciples of Jesus Christ. And suddenly... The commitment to the church with regard to how we give of our income slacks off. And suddenly we find, you know, we're not really tithing anymore, are we? we? We'd like to think we're tithing. And I want to just put this question on your conscience once more. We wouldn't check into these things. We can't check into these things. We don't desire to check into these things. It would be entirely inappropriate to check into these things because we're not a cult. But if your tax record and your Tithing don't match up. Quit lying to yourself about tithing. Quit lying about it. Look at it and make a determination. And why don't you do what some people in this church do and say, just to play it safe, we're going 12, 13, 15%. There's some people in our church that tithe 20%. There's a man sitting in here this morning who told me not long ago, I think... In complete sobriety of mind, his goal is to tithe 50% of his income in X amount of time. And he's working toward it. Now, should we all do that? Probably not. Can we all do that? Certainly not. I'm trying to make a point. And I don't want to harp on this thing. I'm just saying all of these categories, our souls, our marriages, our families, our jobs, our education, our church... These things all need maintenance. They need discipline. They need diligence. And we need to look into them and we need to say, where am I a slacker? I'm very busy doing what I want to do, but am I really diligent in doing what I need to do? That's, that's the question. And if I had time, I would show you these prospects in terms of the word 
poverty. In 6.11, the word poverty is used. 10.4, poverty. 10.5, shame. 12.24, forced labor. 15.19, a hedge of thorns. How do you like that kind of life? Being a slothful person, eventually you think it's all about freedom, and pretty soon it's about constraint, and everywhere you move, you're bumping into thorns. Man, it's really getting difficult around here. The diligent person, says Solomon, walks on a level highway. 1915, hunger. 24, nothing to show. 21.5, poverty. 21.25, the desire of the, of the sluggard kills him. 28.19, poverty. Whereas the prospects of the diligent are. 6.8, provision for the future. 10.4, riches. 12.11, plenty. 12.24, rulership. 12.27, wealth. 13.4, richly supplied. 15.19, level highway. 21.5, abundance. 31.20, ability to help the poor. 31.21, warmth in winter. 31.23, good reputation. 31.28, affirmation. Those are the prospects of the diligent. Have I shown you enough that it doesn't pay? It doesn't pay. It doesn't pay to be lazy. So we've seen the sluggard's portfolio. We've seen his property. And we've seen his prospects. And I want to conclude with just a few words of encouragement because I didn't want this sermon to be a downer. Do I hope it's convicting? Yes. It's been convicting to me. But I don't want it to be a downer. And I certainly don't want this sermon to end up being Uh, merely moralistic. Now listen to me carefully. God cares about morals, and we need to press morality upon our consciences and work it out in our lives. We're not against becoming more moral. We're against becoming more immoral, and we're very much for becoming moral. But what I mean by moralistic preaching is just, here's how you can become a, quote, better person, and this will somehow bring you more into the favor of God, and this will make you more righteous in his sight as far as you're just that's what i mean i don't want to do that in this sermon do i want you to be convicted about your slothfulness and your laziness yes do i need to be convicted about those things yes do we need to make some resolves and some determinations yes do we need to pray about it yes if we get concerned about this and we come to repentance is that legalism no jesus was diligent He was diligent unto death in order to pay for our lack of diligence. Because laziness is a sin. We do need to change. But I want us to change. With the hope and the consolation. That there is forgiveness for the sin of laziness. There is an atonement for that sin. There is a perfect righteousness to cover such sinners. There is the power of the third person of the Trinity who comes to dwell in us to make us like God. Does God want us to be diligent? (laughs) What is the book of Proverbs all about? It's about how we should live. Not in order to earn Favor with God in terms of our standing and our justification, but in order to live the way he created and redeemed us to live and to have the joy and the peace and the comfort and the blessing that come with these things. And in order to make Christianity look good to the world, Christians live differently. Christians should never be looked upon by the world as lazy people. Terrible testimony. 
to the gospel and to the church. So what do I want for all of us? I want us to go away and say, God, I'm so lazy. I'm far more lazy than I wanted to admit. I'm a lot like the man who has a wild imagination and a comfortable bed and a tired arm and a big ego. Forgive me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for that sin. Give me gospel encouragements to be a diligent, hardworking Christian for your name's sake and for your glory and for the cause of the kingdom. That's what I want. And if you know that you're basically just a lazy person, then you need to repent and come to Christ for salvation by merely trusting in him. May it be said of every one of us individually and of this church collectively, that guy, that woman is a hardworking Christian. Hardworking Christian. I don't want people just to say, he's diligent, she's diligent. They're diligent for the glory of God. And I want people to say that about this church. So, wise up, congregation. Wise up, Pastor Ted. Repent of your slothfulness and be more diligent, shall we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Convict us, but help us to trust in our Savior and help us to become more like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.